You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Philippians chapter 1, and we're just going to read one verse tonight, so I'd ask you if you'd stand with me right now, and we'll just read verse number 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 12, it says this, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. It's a wonderful testimony of Paul in the situation that he's in. We'll kind of cover it a little bit. But to, th- uh, to think that through all of what Paul is facing, his focus was the furtherance of the gospel. God is taking my situation, what I'm facing, and God's using it to see people get saved. And what an extraordinary spirit that is, but it's a spirit that you and I can have and ought to have facing whatever circumstances we have in life. We know God can take it and He can use it for the furtherance of the gospel. And so let's pray together as we examine this thought in God's Word tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for the opportunity tonight to come and preach Your Word. Lord, I know I'm not worthy. Pray, Lord, uh, that you would please give me the words to say. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower me. Uh, Lord, tonight, nothing special is going to happen without your intervention and your help. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you in song. Lord, for the privilege to to worship you in offering. And now, Lord, as we turn to uh, listen, Lord, as your word speaks to us, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd use the message tonight to be an encouragement, to be a blessing. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your blessings that you've shown to us even just this day in allowing us to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. Would you please be seated? Uh, Probably about a year ago, um, I began to look at Philippians, and really Philippians chapter 1 is... Is, is becoming one of my favorite, uh, favorite uh, chapters that Paul writes. It really is just a fascinating chapter. Uh, there's so much in there. In fact, um, at the very end of the chapter, there's uh, some verses there that I plan, Lord willing, one day in the future to use for, for our church, talking about striving together uh, for the gospel and, and just as a theme. And so as I began to look at this chapter and really study it, I paused when I noticed verse number 12. You know how sometimes when you're reading in Scripture and you go through it really quick and maybe you don't notice something or maybe it just doesn't catch your attention. And, and, and for some of us, that's really easy when we get to, you know, numbers or to somewhere where the genealogies are going through or something. Well, for me here, when I was reading it and I noticed verse number 12, to me, I was like, hey, hold on. Hey, Paul, what's going on? Uh, For me, Philippians feels a lot like a a missionary prayer letter, and in a sense it is. Paul is writing back to the Philippians to say thank you for giving a gift to me and sending someone to take care of me while I'm in Rome. So right now, Paul isn't really in a great position. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard 24-7, and he's facing a lot of difficulties. And, and for me, my, my expectation would be is in the prayer letter to put the events that God is doing in my life. What happened? What happened? What happened? And we know Paul's life certainly had no lack of, of supernatural events involved in his life. He wasn't a boring Christian. Things were always happening. And so if I was sitting at Philippi, I'd be wanting to hear, okay, Paul, what's going on? I'd have two expectations. Either one, okay, there's got to be a really cool story in Paul's letter. 
or two, man, Paul must really be struggling now that he's there in Rome and things are going on. I mean, surely the news has spread through Christendom to the people of Philippi of Paul's need and Paul's place right now. He's not in a good place. He's not in a comfortable place. But when we come to verse number 12, we find really kind of the opposite. Paul takes and instead of focusing on some of the events that happened to him, he moves forward to draw the, uh, the Philippians' attention to the fact that God is using his situation, unique as it is, for the furtherance of the gospel. Now I want us to take really quick just, a, just kind of a summary to summarize what Paul's gone through so that we understand that Paul isn't just saying this after just having one bad day or stubbing his toe, but you know, God is still good. He's facing it with through some real life-changing situations that he's going through. And so I began to look in Acts and try to find where was Paul before this. And the last time that I can find that Paul was in Philippi, was he was with them for the Passover. And after the Passover, his plan was to get down to Jerusalem, there to worship, to pay a vow, and he had to be there by Pentecost. So that's 40 or so days, a little bit more, 43 days, to get down from where he is in Philippi down to Jerusalem. And so Paul makes his journey down to Jerusalem, but it's noted in, in Acts that God warns Paul twice, that if he goes down to Jerusalem, God, uh, God said that there will be chains and imprisonment waiting for him. Paul, if you go down, you will be cast into prison. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you will be in jail. Now, Paul, for him, that's really nothing new. It's not anything strange for him, and he's a determined man. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He believes that that's what he's supposed to do. And so he gets down to Jerusalem, and he's there with other believers, and they say, you should go worship in the temple with some of these other men. And, of course, Paul would probably love the opportunity to go worship at the temple mount there and to worship uh, there by the temple, thinking of all the great things that God has done for Israel and, and the, the way that God is taking care of Israel and how the influence that God has brought all through Paul's life has eventually brought him to the gospel now and the thankfulness that he could have that he's a believer. And it all kind of started there at the temple because that's where he was when he was exposed to the gospel for the first time. That's Paul, I think, his, his idea kind of being there. But Paul there, as he's worshiping at the temple, there's a whole lot of other Jews. You see, uh, Pentecost was not just a, a, a big celebration for Jerusalem, but it was for all of Ju Judaism. It was one of the three major holidays that the men of the families had to present themselves in Jerusalem uh, if they were going to be devout Jews. It was part of their service. They were required to be there. So imagine with me, this city is overflowing with people from all over the world. Men from all over uh, Europe and, and Asia there where uh, they, they'd been able to get down to Jerusalem. I wonder if Paul ran into some of the other believers that he'd met along the way there. I wonder if maybe there was a little bit of a kind of reunion spirit for him and some of the men there having those folks there. But you know, it wasn't only believers that came to this, but there were other unbelieving Jews. And some of these unbelieving Jews recognized Paul from their cities and hated him for trying to take these people away from the law and from Moses. And, and so they began to spread a rumor, Paul is here in the temple and this man is trying to get us to abandon Moses. He's trying to get us to abandon the law. And not only that, he's brought a Gentile into the temple with him. First of all, none of those things were true. 
Paul wasn't trying to get them to abandon Moses or the law. He was trying to get them to understand that the law was to show them who the Messiah was. That was the purpose. And as Jews, when you believe in Christ, that's just the fulfillment of what God always intended. And here, they, they lied about Paul and then the fact that they, that they claimed that he brought a Gentile into the temple, that was a, 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 a death sentence practically. You, you could be punished by death. You were punished by death for bringing a Gentile. There were so many rules and you had to wait generations as Gentiles before you were even allowed to go into the temple. And here, all of a sudden, Paul, they claim, has just brought one in and doing so disrespect to their God. Can you imagine these men that have now traveled uh, many, many, many miles to come and be there for this celebration are hearing that this man has now disobeyed their God. How would you and I react if someone insulted our Lord? These men, of course, take on uh, the, the law themselves. They go to beat up Paul. They're going to rip him to shreds. But the men in Jerusalem, the Romans knew that there was a big crowd going to be here. And they had, I like to call a riot squad, ready. They were prepared. They knew that if something happened, they needed to react quickly. And they knew exactly where something would happen. If it would, it'd be at the temple. That's how the men of the Roman guards got there so quickly. At the first sign of trouble, they rush in. And they find their Paul outside of the temple as the men are trying to beat him to death. And as soon as they see the Romans, they leave him off. And there's Paul lying in the ground, probably bloodied. And probably got a black eye or both. And they pick up Paul and they begin to take him back into the castle. They string him up and they're going to whip the truth out of him before Paul tells them that he's a Roman citizen. And because of that, he is allowed to have a court case before they can punish him. That started a series of events that would go on for the next several years in Paul's life. After his court case with the Sanhedrin to then Felix the governor, then to Festus, Paul would spend over two years waiting for his court case so that he could be free. Imagine spending two years in court for something you didn't even do. And he's spending two years in court. And here it's interesting to note that when Paul gets to Felix the governor... God doesn't pull any punches. God says exactly why Felix held him there. Felix held him there for two years because Felix wanted a bribe. Felix desired money of him. Now, Paul is not a dumb character. It would not take much for Felix to hint that I want some money, I'll let you go. And Paul surely picked up on it early, but he would refuse to pay the bribe. I remember my mom and dad, and I don't know if I'm telling the story exactly right, but I remember the first time they were... You, you don't ask to pay a bribe. They were insinuated that they need to pay a bribe to get paperwork done. They're like, what? Oh, is this, you know, an official fee? The guy just said we were supposed to give him some money. And they said, uh, what is this? They said, this is just how things are done here. This is to make sure your paperwork gets to where it needs to go to. And my parents said, no, no, we can't do that. We won't pay the bribe. If God wants us to be here. He'll make sure the paperwork gets to where it needs to go to. And it did, praise the Lord. I got to grow up in Ukraine. You know, Paul didn't pay a bribe. How easy it would have been for him. I mean, let's justify it for a second. Imagine what Paul could have done with two years. Can you imagine how many churches he could have started? How many people he would have won to the Lord? But imagine the stain also on Christ's name if Paul had paid that bribe. You see, nothing would have happened to Felix. They expected of him. Can you imagine the headlines, if you will, the next day? Paul the Apostle bribes Felix doesn't trust his God to deliver him from corrupt government official. 
You know, sometimes I think that we as believers do not consider the impact our actions have on the name of Christ. Paul was considerate of that. He realized that what he does will affect the name of Christ. And he said, okay, I can't pay the bribe. That would not be right. So I guess I'll just have to go through this the way it goes. And then after two years of being in trial after trial after trial, and then finally having someone else come in now to judge his trial, he appeals to Caesar. He says, this has gone far enough. He went with his nuclear option, which was his right as a citizen. He could appeal to Caesar. He would be shipped off to Rome, and then Caesar would judge his court case. They say, okay, all right, Paul, we'll send you to Rome. They take Paul, and they wait for another few months, and then they send him out to Rome, and we know nothing happened to him on that voyage, right? It was easy. So, So fun, like a vacation for him. No, along the way he's shipwrecked, not to mention kept in a storm for two weeks with very little food, barely surviving. They shipwreck and then when he's trying to help them light the fire and keep people dry, which by the way, a prisoner is not supposed to be going and doing that. They're supposed to stand still while the guards are doing that. But here Paul is serving and in the midst of his serving, he still gets bitten by a snake. Like no good deed unpunished. And yet, he shakes the snake off into the fire. He should have died. The men on board, uh, the men there on the island, the barbarians, they look at him and they said, oh, he's, he's a murderer because uh, the, he couldn't even get past. He survived the, the shipwreck, but fate still had him bit by a snake. And yet he did not die. And God used that as an opportunity for him to be able to witness to those people. Yeah, right. It's amazing to see how God pulls us all together. Paul finally gets to Rome and he gets to Rome there and he's told he has to wait another two years before his court case can be handled by Caesar. Now thankfully he does not have to be in a dark, deep prison cell somewhere. They'll let him keep a house, but he's not allowed to leave this house. In fact, he has to be chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He's not allowed to leave. He has to stay put. He's put in quarantine by government mandate almost. That's what it feels like. Paul is facing some very difficult situations, but I want you to consider where Paul's at, not just because of the physical things, but if you look at Paul in his life, there were a few things that he's always wanted to do. His desire for Israel was for them to be saved. That was one of his top things, just to see Israel saved. As many as possible. But I think his second desire was to go to Rome. He talks about it in Romans. His desire to go to Rome and be able to be an encouragement to the believers there and to begin serving there. That was, if you will, one of his biggest cities in his mind. I want to go to Rome. I want to serve the Lord there. I want to go start churches. I want to go be involved. And now he finally has the chance to be in Rome and God, instead of letting him go free, puts him in a house. Instead of letting Paul go and do his normal, if you will, method of operation, going to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles and and then seeing people saved and getting a church started, Paul isn't allowed to do that. God restricts him. God kind of puts some, uh, he, he yanks on his chain a little bit and doesn't allow him quite to reach that bucket list item that maybe he had had. It's not even a bad item on a bucket list to have, right? A lot of us have worse items than trying to go see somebody get saved on our bucket list. And I say worse not because they're bad, just because they're not the same per se. One of my items is still to go skydiving. That was going to happen this week, but we chickened out. And so one day in the future, hopefully, I'll be able to go skydiving. 
I did. I chickened out. One day in the future, though. Paul's bucket list item was to reach people in Rome. He imagined the confusion, maybe, that Paul would have felt getting to Rome, getting to be so close to the place that he's desired to minister, and now all of a sudden God says, no. Hold up. For me, if this had happened to me, I'd be upset. I'd be like, God, why are you sidelining your best player, if you will? Not to be proud or anything, but I'm Paul. You know, I, I've, I've seen these churches start, and I, I know I can be a help, and I know I can be used, and I know this can happen. God, why won't you let me? But that's not the spirit that we find Paul in. That's not where he's at right now. He's not discouraged. He's not upset. In fact, if you look at the book of Philippians and you didn't know any of the background, you'd think the guy's doing fantastic. You'd think that everything is great in his life. And if you look at chapters 3 and chapters 4, you find a believer who is so in love with Christ and, and on cloud nine in his relationship with God, he's never been closer and he loves the Lord more than he's ever before. And that's where we find Paul, where if we were placed probably in that same situation, we'd have a totally different reaction. We'd be upset. We might even be tempted to quit. How did Paul get to where he's at right now? I think really the truth of the matter is that there's two, two truths that Paul knew that got him to that point. It moved him from being a believer who's discouraged and upset and could have just sat there for two years and done nothing to a believer who's now trying to encourage others, to a believer who is, is excited about the work that God is doing, even in the difficult situation that he's in. I think the very first truth we can kind of see alluded to in verse number 13. It says, verse 13 of, of, of chapter 1, it says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. I don't think that Paul is just talking in this passage of Scripture about the fact that he is in bonds because of Christ. He's imprisoned because of Christ, because of, of, of his dedication to Christ. We understand that. But if you look deeper and you realize that Paul is there exactly for one reason. It's because of Christ. There's so much that Christ has done for him. And I wonder if when Paul thinks about the chain every day he wakes up to that Roman guard, that he's got a stronger link to heaven and to God the Father than he does even to that Roman guard who's right next to him. He realized that Christ was with him. Remember how I mentioned earlier that as Paul's journey from uh, Philippi down to Jerusalem, Christ, uh, God warns him twice, if you go there, there'll be chains and imprisonment. After Paul is in prison, Christ appears to him once and says, Paul, I'm with you. And then there in that storm that he's there for two weeks, God sends an angel to encourage Paul. It's okay, I'm with you. It's okay. You see, Paul realized that Christ was with him. What a difference that that would make for us if we just daily remember that Christ is with us. Christ is with us. No matter what situation we face, oh, someone said something to me. Christ was right there with you. He knows what they said. He knows with what intent they said. He knows he's right there with you. Every situation that you and I run into, Christ is with us. Christ is with the believers over in Ukraine. He didn't abandon them. 
I'm so thankful that where uh, Paul is at, God didn't just say to Paul and, and, and in Scripture show us, uh, Paul, you dummy, you messed up. You're, you, you got arrested. I'm going to go help Philip now and I'll come back for you later. Christ didn't do that. Christ said, I'm with you. I'm right here beside you. I know what you're going through. I know exactly what you're facing. I know the things that are going on. And I'm right here with you and I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Amen. You look at the world today and it seems like hopefully we're kind of coming out of the COVID thing and, and moving past that. But remember when the world was really, really, really crazy? You realize the reason that they were like that is because they didn't know that there was someone greater than COVID with them. Every single day. Every single moment of every single day. See, I think one of the greatest truths that you and I, if believers, we could grasp on is that Christ is with us in every situation. Not only is that an encouragement, but it's also a warning. Hey, Christ is with you. Christ is with you. I remember learning so many passages in Scripture uh, in school and stuff. They try to teach you memory verses to remember, God says, and uh, I believe it's in Proverbs now, that his eyes go through the earth beholding the good and the evil. Hey, Christ is with you. Let that be an encouragement to you that he knows exactly what's going on. He knows where you're at. But not only was Paul cognizant, he knew that Christ was with him. But I think that there's something else that Paul learned in his time there in Rome. Would you turn to 2 Timothy really quickly? Chapter number 2. Second Timothy, Paul is in Rome a second time. This isn't the first time when he writes Philippians. This is his second time. And he's writing to Timothy to encourage him. He's about to die and to be martyred for the cause of Christ. And he's writing to him to encourage him, to let him know things are going to be okay, and I am, I am ready to go. I'm ready to be offered, he says. But if you look in verse number 8 of chapter 2, we begin to see a picture open here. It says, Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, un even unto bonds. Look at these next words. But the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not not bound. That second truth that Paul realized, I believe he didn't just realize it when he's writing it to Timothy. Paul knew this the first time he was in Rome, that even though he was restricted and there were limitations put on him, God wasn't limited by those limitations. God wasn't restricted. God wasn't held back. It wasn't as though Caesar had some power over what God could do in Paul's life. Paul knew that God could still work in Paul's life. Paul knew that God was going to work in Paul's life if Paul would let him. Here, we find that second truth is so vitally important. Your limitations and my limitations and the things that maybe even uh, we think are limitations are no match for what God can do. God is all-powerful, is he not? He can do anything he wants to do with anyone he wants to do it. The question is, is whether or not you and I will surrender and let him do it. Whether or not we'll let him take our situation and use it for the furtherance of the gospel. How does this play out in Paul's life? Paul realizing that Christ was with him and realizing that God's word would not be bound. It can't be restricted. I think it comes out in a couple of ways. But in Acts chapter 28, we won't turn there for sake of time, but in Acts chapter 28, uh, Paul has a, a, I like to call it a reverse door knocking ministry. 
See, where, where normally Paul would be out among the people and, and trying to witness to them and talk to them, he's not allowed to now, so he's kept in the house. And so instead of him being able to go out, he begins to witness to the guards that are there with him. That's how he talks about how in Caesar's palace, all of them know the gospel. Not all of them got saved, but all of them knew it because they had to have a rotation of the guards. And imagine the conversation among the guards. Hey, are you going to Paul today? Yeah, I'm going to be with Paul today. Oh boy, okay, all right. Well, we'll see you when you get back. You know, don't become a Christian on me or something. I don't know how they would joke. But these men knew the gospel because of Paul. But it wasn't just the men that were there in Paul's house. You see, I believe, and you can kind of see that Paul began to send out invitations into the city to invite people to his house. He began to invite folks to his house and began to witness to them and lead them to the Lord. Imagine if you and I were in Rome one day walking through the city marveling at the architecture and all of a sudden out of this house, and I believe he ducks as he's coming out of this house, this giant Roman guard comes out and he's got the seal that lets you know that he's part of Caesar's band. So this is not just any Roman guard. This is a special forces elite Roman guard and he says, I've got someone in this house that wants to talk to you. You're, and my reaction would probably be like, sure, no problem. Let's go in. Let's see what's going on. I don't want any trouble. I'd be happy to. You and I walk into the house. And there next to a window, probably sitting on a stool, maybe with a desk there next to him, a table. We see a man that, I don't know if he's hunched over, but he certainly looks aged. He's got scars. And he looks up at you and he says, hello, my name is Paul. I wanted to talk to you for a second and tell you about someone I met a long time ago on a road headed to Damascus. And all of a sudden, Paul begins to witness and to talk to this person and tell them about Christ. And I don't know how many got saved through this ministry, but God saw fit to even give us the name of one. His name was Onesimus. Onesimus was a young man that Paul had reached in Rome who happened to be the slave of a mutual, uh, of, of one of Paul's friends. And yet God brings the situation about so that Paul is in Rome in a house and yet still able to reach someone that God had intended to be saved along the way. God wanted to see saved. God brought their paths to cross and there Onesimus is saved and we find that story in Philemon. Can you imagine the rejoicing that is happening when all of a sudden these connections are being made that, fi that Onesimus finally realizes it? He finally gets it. Okay, I can be saved. I want to be saved. He gets saved and then, okay, now you've got to go back to, to your owner. You've got to go back to your Lord. You've got to pay him back. You need to take this letter with you. Imagine Philemon's surprise to see one day Ones Onesimus walking down the road with a letter from Paul in hand of all people. And the story begins to unfold about how Paul is there in Rome leading people to Christ, even from a house. Amen. Even from a house. But it's not only that reverse door knocking ministry, there's one more example I'd like to share with you. You see, we've got the book of Philippians that Paul wrote during this time. But this wasn't the only book that Paul wrote. We know he wrote Philemon. He wrote Colossians. But he also wrote Ephesians. If you and I were to think back to our salvation testimony, more than likely you and I 
were shown the scriptures from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that, that so very clearly show to us through God's word that salvation is not something we can earn. In fact, we don't have to worry about earning it because God already paid for it for us. It's a gift. We can accept it freely. Amen. That passage of Scripture, I believe, has led to the salvation of millions of people. And yet, if Paul was busy in Rome and serving and doing the things he'd normally do, we would not necessarily have Ephesians probably the way we do. You see, God did more with Paul, I believe, in a house than God could do with Paul outside of it. He realized that the effect of those passages of Scripture on Christendom through the thousands of years, God is still using Paul in a house today to see people get saved. Doesn't that just blow your mind to imagine that God put all that together? It encourages me so much because... Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 will be one of the greatest tools and the greatest truths that my wife and I, we can use in Ukraine for a people who so many of them are are devout and and have decided that they need to work their way to heaven, that they have to light a candle somewhere, they have to have an icon they pray to, they have to cross themselves every time they pass in front of an Orthodox temple. And yet, God used Paul in a house in a difficult situation where Paul could have given up and given in and said, okay, I'm done with this, God. Why are you putting me through this? But instead, Paul surrendered to God. He said, okay, God, how are you going to use this? Use me, please. God, how can you use this situation in me for the furtherance of the gospel? Let me ask you, what are the situations that you are facing today? Difficulties along the way. You realize that God knows about every single one of them. And Christ is with you for every single one of them. He's not left your side. He heard that conversation or he saw that action or he knows exactly what's going on. And he wants to use your situation for the furtherance of the gospel. He's already got it planned out. If you think about it, from creation to Abraham was a few thousand years. And God had every single one of those days planned. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And from Abraham to Paul was another few thousand years. And God was able to reach Paul. And from Paul to you and to I is another 2,000 years. I mean, we can't hardly plan out our next day. I mean, almost at all. Like, it just doesn't happen. Something goes wrong, something along the way. And yet God has everything planned. He knows exactly what's going on. If you just think about it for a second, what could God have planned for tomorrow? Situation before it even happens yet, and God already knows exactly how he can use it for the furtherance of the gospel. Comes to you and to me as believers to surrender to his will. Say, okay, God, you brought this in my life. How can you use it? Help me to see the opportunity here. Help me to see the chance that you have planned here for me to use this to see someone get saved. Paul writing to the Philippians, it it could have been a discouraging letter. Paul certainly had every right to be. But he writes to them to bring their focus that the situations that they will be facing and we're already facing with persecution and so many other things. Hey, God can use that. Don't be discouraged. God's still in control. God can use that for the furtherance of the gospel. It's what God is doing in Ukraine right now. 
That's what God can do in your life right now if you just surrender to his will and let him use you. Let's go ahead and pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.